Let me read God's word in Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. And I will be reading this morning from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is, uh, you'll find, is very close to whatever your English translation is. The only real difference is that uh, for the covenant name of God in the Old Testament in Hebrew, it's Yahweh, and uh, it actually reads that way. So I know that for some of you that might be a little shocking. You've always heard Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and it's beautiful, and I'll still pray, oh, bless the Lord, O my soul, but uh, I'm grateful that this translation is giving us the covenant name of the Lord, and it is Yahweh. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Yahweh performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always contend with us, and he will not keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, and he has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our form. He remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flowers. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless Yahweh, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless Yahweh, all you his hosts, who, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless Yahweh, all you works of his, in all places of his rule. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. Amen. Let's pray. O Yahweh, we come to you now, you who are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come now asking that you would, by your gracious spirit, minister this beautiful psalm to your people this morning. Help us that we may worship you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
David here is giving and writing a psalm of worship, as is so common in the psalms. It is a call to worship. And David understood that the chief purpose and aim of any godly person's life is to worship God. And that is most evident in a gathering like this, a congregation on a particular place, in a particular place on a particular day. We assemble and we lift up honor and praise to God. We honor him with our prayers, with our songs, through honoring his word. But we are to be a people who praise God all the time. This is why we live, is to worship God. And we worship him by pleasing him. Not merely through singing songs, not merely through gathering, but we worship him and honor him by learning what's pleasing to him, which is not impossible. That's why he gave us the Bible. And then by in reliance upon him, seeking to do that in our lives, to live as he wants us to. But underneath all of our activity, there is to be within the heart of every Christian man or woman a heart of worship for God. And Psalm 103 is a good place to start. It's a good place to prime the pump, so to speak. If you're finding yourself, finding it difficult to worship the Lord, to pray, to sing, Psalm 103 is a good place to go. In fact, I think of Psalm 103 kind of like a reset button. It's kind of like the default that every Christian ought to go back to, Psalm 103. This is basics. This is back to the basics this morning. I don't intend to share anything in particularly insightful. I'm just going to meditate on this psalm with you for a few moments. This is back to the basics. This is 101. This is where we start. This is where we begin. This is where we go back to. This is where we will be forever worshiping the Lord. In Ephesians 5.20 we are told and commanded to be always giving thanks as Christian people and as those who are on the other side of the resurrection. And I'm still thinking about what we've learned about Jesus. I hope you are. And and his sufferings for us, his death, his resurrection, his glorious ascension. How now do we live? What are we to do in response to such glorious grace? How do we live in response to such a gracious king, a king of such glory. Psalm 103 is a good place to start. We bless him. We bless our God and our God, Yahweh, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship him. And first of all, in verses 1 through 5, you notice that David calls himself to worship because of God's way with Me personally, not me, but he moves from reasons, he provides here reasons for worship, I'm sorry, reasons for worship. He begins with personal, how God has dealt with me personally, and then he moves throughout the Psalms to how God has dealt with his people generally. But he begins here in verses 1 through 5, calling himself to worship the Lord, providing personal reasons from how God has dealt with him personally and he has to call himself to worship and you do too I do 
Do not think for a minute that you will just naturally worship God. That you'll just kind of go from feeling like it from to feeling like it to feeling like it. Because even though you are a believer in Jesus Christ, even though you are born again of the Holy Spirit, you still have this sinful nature within you. And we all think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We love blessing ourselves. I mean, we may not actually say, bless you, O my soul, and forget none of your benefits. But that's effectively how we live so often, overly impressed with ourselves. And even if you're thinking, well, actually, no, I don't think too highly of myself. I think, I think too lowly of myself, and I just can't stop thinking about how bad I am and how, how weak I am and how I can't do this and how I can't do that. Well, the problem with that is maybe you're not thinking too highly of yourself, but you're still thinking about you, 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 you. And what the Bible calls us to do is to turn from ourselves and to set our hearts on God. And it's not easy because our hearts are so corrupt. Our hearts are so inclined towards self-worship. And notice here that what the kind of worship that David is after is, is not like a fainting worship. It's not a partial worship. Notice in verse 1 he says, all that is within me. And that's what God wants. He wants all of us. He doesn't want just a little tip of worship. He wants all of you. It's very demanding. And this is a demanding worship that's called for here. Not because it's unreasonable, but in terms of it's all that you are, all that I am. And that's because that God made all that you are and he redeemed all that you are. All that is within me, bless his holy name. God doesn't want motions going through the motions. God doesn't really care if people attend his houses of worship, if they intend to just kind of go in and then go out without any real heart. Is it, can I ask you this morning, at some point, before we sang songs and so forth, did we have a little talk with ourselves and essentially say to ourselves, self, you are about to worship the living God. Are you ready for that? Do you mean these songs that we're going to sing? I mean, if you're an unbeliever and you're here and you, you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ and you're still not so sure, I mean, that kind of makes sense because you haven't made a claim to follow Jesus Christ. But the rest of you, you're claiming that God sent his son, that he died on the cross for your sins. You're claiming that Jesus is your Lord, your King. And how often, nonetheless, can we just come into a service and just kind of just go through it and hope somebody else does something that will wake me up it's my job I can lead you in worship but as far as me and as far as you you are responsible for you I am responsible for me we must call ourselves to worship and we must call all that is within me to bless his holy name all within ourselves to bless his holy name some of us are, are too kind to ourselves. Some of us, I know, are too harsh with ourselves. But when it comes to the worship of God, some of us, our self, our laziness, our feelings dominate. And some of us have to learn that part of Christian maturity is, is not becoming schizophrenic, where you have two personalities. But you need to learn to talk to yourself. And you need to not to concede so easily. You come on a Sunday morning, all right? 
And you say yourself is saying, man, I lifted logs yesterday, split wood, or I raked leaves, or, or I didn't sleep very well, or, or I don't know, I got this and this going on. And you essentially have to say to yourself, not, oh, you're right, you're, you know what, you should just take it easy. Maybe you can worship God some other time when it's more convenient for you. <laughs> no, no. No, see what David's doing? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Get with the program. Deal with it. <laughs> he is God, and he has redeemed you. Bless the Lord. I'm tired. That doesn't matter. Wake up. And, and what would help, as we studied a little bit in Sunday school this morning, is just remember, and this is what we have to do, is we have to remember when we worship God, we are in the presence of the living God. And trust me, I, I know you do trust me, but I think you understand, if we all instantly were transported right now into the very throne room of God, surrounded by myriads and myriads, nobody would be struggling with, with staying awake or with... Uh, kind of getting up the feeling to worship God we'd be on our faces worshiping him and the reality is is when we assemble together as a church family loved ones we are in the presence of God that is reality not physically yet but we are in his throne so I guess what I'm wanting to encourage you first of all here is is that we need to call ourselves to worship we need to not be so passive. We need to not give in so easily to our feeling. We need to say, self, you are here today to worship your Savior, your Redeemer, and your King. Self, you're going to give yourself to the Lord. I know you got other things going on. I know as you came through the door today, there's things that are upon your heart. You're going to be able to bring those to the Lord. I know that you're discouraged. I know that you have pain in your body. But here's the reality. God is God and you are his and he owns and ought to receive your praise. And bless the Lord, oh my soul. You're going to give it to him today. You're going to offer up to the Lord the praise that he is due. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. You've got to talk to yourself. This is true when we assemble for worship. This is also true in our private prayer and worship. Don't concede so easily to the inclination of your heart. We need to stop. We need to drop. <laughs> And we need to praise the Lord. How prone we are to worship just about anything and everything except the Lord. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. There's a time for other concerns. There's a time for other thoughts. There's a time, plenty of time to get all of those other things done. Yes, there's plenty of time. Right now is time to worship the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Our souls often say, why? And they don't say that audibly. Hopefully not. Our souls are a little bit like Pharaoh. When Moses went to Pharaoh and commanded him to let the people of God go, and Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5 verse 2 said, Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Who is the Lord? Our souls often essentially say to us. Who is the Lord that I should pause with the plans for my day? Who is the Lord that I should set aside other concerns and give my heart to him right now? Who is the Lord that I should take some of my precious energy and time and waking hours and strength 
and set it aside to talk to someone I can't see, to talk to somebody that, that I, I don't know necessarily, I can't see is immediately with me. And who is this God, our sinful self may say? David, the Holy Spirit through David, helps us with that. And provides five reasons in verses 1 through 5. Why should we worship the Lord? Why should we command our souls to worship the Lord? Demand that our souls worship the Lord? First of all, David says, Bless the Lord, bless Yahweh, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits who, first of all, pardons your iniquities, who pardons all your iniquities. David was a sinner, a great sinner. He didn't have just a one or two iniquities, one or two sins. He was a great sinner, of course, most infamously with Bathsheba and killing Uriah the Hittite and But David's sins were more than that. Sins in the family. He certainly wasn't the father that that he was called to be by God. We learn in the scriptures. He had many sins and he knew it. And he calls his own self to worship the Lord. He calls all that he is to worship the Lord. Number one, first of all, because this same God he's worshiping is the one he sinned against and who should judge him, but instead pardons him. Pardons him. Secondly, the Lord Yahweh heals your diseases. And some of us may be thinking here this morning, well, I have some diseases that aren't healed yet. And I probably have some ahead. What do you mean he heals all our diseases? For the believer in Jesus Christ, he will heal all your diseases. There is a day coming when there will be no more sickness, no more death. But even at this point, have you considered that every single occasion where you were really ill, and maybe some of the younger people don't know necessarily, but you will, Every occasion, and for me at least, there's been more than a few where I've been very ill or with some kind of pain that was absolutely overwhelming and dominating and laid me aside. Have you considered that ultimately behind the doctors and the medicine for which we ought to be very, very thankful, but behind it all is God. He's the one who heals your diseases. I just had a recent visit with a a sinus specialist and the church family knows that for years I had severe issues and I mean this is not talking about your normal your normal sinus uh, problems Um, bad kind of thing that in previous generations people really died from and fungal infection that's gross of a mushroom basically growing in your head that's beautiful sight I know but but you know that type of thing and that's actually very uh, increasingly difficult we don't we have lots of antibiotics we actually don't have many antifungals maybe some of you've seen that in the news and I just days weeks of just lying in bed and just 
feeling like your head's like a walnut going to split. Now, here I am now telling you my aches and pains. We could just right now start, couldn't we? Just go around. Well, you got that? I'll tell you about what I had. And, oh, thank you. But, but look, it's a reality. We have diseases under the sun, and it's God who's brought us through them. Yes, we're thankful. It's, it's God who gave the doctors, God who gave the science and the medicine. But it's God. It's very personal. He's the one who heals your diseases. And he's the one who's going to eventually resurrect your body like unto the Lord Jesus' body without any disease, without any illness, without any sickness. He does that, and he will do it. He thirdly redeems your life from the pit. Meaning your sin, your helplessness, your need, your wretchedness. You were like a mouse in the paws of Satan, if you're a believer. I mean, every man and woman, you think you're all that. You're, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And you're a pawn for the evil one. You're surrounded, and I'm surrounded by our shameful thoughts, by our shameful deeds. I, for one, know that God has redeemed my life from the pit. This is why we ought to worship him. Fourthly, he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. In other words, he takes you from the pit and he puts you on the very throne. He makes you to be a son and daughter of the king and you will reign with Christ. You are co-heirs with Christ. And and he crowns your life with his own covenant hesed. That is his his covenant love and grace. That's that word. I love that word, loving kindness. I, I love it because... It's, it's, it's helpful in representing that Hebrew word hesed because there's a lot in there. So they jam in loving kindness into the one English word. And I like it. The loving kindness. And they are not just singular. They are loving kindnesses. He just pours on his love and his compassion. Isn't that marvelous? That God who could be harsh with us and how we know that so much of the sorrow and the pain that we get ourselves into has to do with our own stupidity, our own sin. And yet God is compassionate towards us. He's inclined to hurt for us as God is able to and who he is in his holiness. He is, crowns us with loving kindness and compassion and he satisfies Fifthly, verse 5, our years with good things. Oh, yes, our years have a lot of bad things. The Bible is very clear about that. The Bible is very plain that even for the godly, God shows us many sorrows. God shows us many difficult days. David is a exhibit A. He didn't exactly have an easy time with it. The man after God's own heart had to run for his life and was constantly assaulted. So yes, even the righteous see many, many sorrows. And yet in the midst of all those sorrows, does he not satisfy us with good things? Every single good, kind thing that you have ever experienced is ultimately from your Father in heaven. Didn't come from that company didn't ultimately come from your family, didn't ultimately come from the day 
Sometimes we talk about the day as if the, the, the day itself was divine. What a great day. I mean, it is a great, that's great. But who made the day? Who, who made that sun? Who made that water? Who made that earth? He's the one who satisfies our years with good things. God knows that we as his people live in this fallen world. We face many sorrows, many sufferings. And so what he does as a loving father is he provides throughout. He provides for us kind, good things to sustain us along the way. A good night's rest once in a while. A good meal. Something that you ate or drank, a good cup of coffee or tea, whatever your preference, that brightened your eyes. It's from him. So bless the Lord. We are called to worship because of his dealings, his way with us personally. There's more than enough there to elicit our praise, to call forth our praise In fact, it's a great evil to not praise someone and bless him who has pardoned your iniquities, healed your diseases, redeemed your life from the pit, crowned you with loving kindness and compassion, and satisfied your years with good things, and basically to live like, eh, it's wretched, so don't do that. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord with all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then David moves Secondly, to God's the reason, overall arching reason, to bless the Lord, to worship the Lord, is because of his dealings with his people generally. <clears throat> he moves from God's dealing with him personally to God's general dealings with his people. He has dealt with his people, Israel of old, and with his church in the present time, faithfully. David recalls God's redemptive actions towards Israel in the past when they were in Egypt and brought them out. And in that time, God revealed himself to his people as full of compassion and gracious. In Exodus chapter 34, verses Verse 6, God, when he went before Moses and he spoke his name in front of Moses, he revealed himself as Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. David reflects that this is more than enough reason to worship the Lord. We are not only individually have an individual relationship with God, but God makes us, when he brings us by faith into union with Christ, he makes us part of his people. We are part of the people of God, the people of Christ. And so we are to praise God in light of his faithfulness with his people generally, his dealings with me personally and his dealings with his people throughout history. And so Israel, while distinct is my history. It's because I'm part of the people of God, and you are too as a believer. We rejoice in God's faithfulness to Israel and bringing them out. And then in all of that, he reveals himself to be who he is, slow to, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. I've been thinking this morning and yesterday 
that verse 8, I mean, you want a roadmap for Christian maturity, you become more like God. You become more compassionate, sensitive to and aware of others' people's needs more than your own. Gracious. You deal with people as God has dealt graciously with you. I mean, how many times in my life have I been harsh? And then you, you realize, wow, if God dealt with me like that, I'd be done. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. I, I want to, the older I get, I, I want to be slower and slower to anger. Ungodly anger is just so stupid, isn't it? And so vain. Ungodly anger is basically a reflection that I, I think I'm God. I think things ought to go the way that I, they should go. And the rest of the people around me aren't getting with the program. God's not like that. And he is God. He is God, and the rest of the people should get with the program. And even still, he's slow to anger. He's not hot-headed. It takes him a while to become truly angry. His anger is righteous, and he does become angry. But with us, there's a long time before he's really angry. Slow to anger, abounding in loving-kindness. Then David provides four more evidences there than what God does not do, and then he provides four evidences in the positive, what God does do. In verses 8 through 10, he, he's, uh, I've just recounted there his character, his name. He will not, verse 9, so here's the negatives, he will not strive or contend with us. God is always has contended with his people Israel in this original context and eventually his contending with them led them away into exile and judgment but the the idea here is that God yes he's going to rebuke his people yes he's going to correct his people he's going to purify his people he's going to chastise his people but the day is coming when he's going to purify them through and through so that there's no longer any need for him to stand against us in our sin. Praise God. What, a, what an encouraging thought that the day will come when the Holy Spirit won't need to convict us of sin anymore because God will have so transformed us, it won't even be there anymore. So he won't always contend with us, nor does he keep his anger forever. Verse 9, he doesn't hold on to it. Some of you known people in your life, they just hold on to it. They nurse that anger. They just keep it going. It's like a steady burn fire going. And maybe some of us here this morning, we have that. Again, I want to say that's, that's not only stupid. It's not only vain. That's a serious sin. Because you're dealing with other people in ways that God does not deal with you, or you're just angry at the circumstances in your life, which means that you got a problem with God, and, and that never goes well. It's just a bad idea to somehow impugn God that he gave you or me a raw deal in light of all of his kindness. He doesn't keep his anger forever, neither should we. But this is reason. Thank God 
He, he, he forgives quickly and easily. He, verse 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Can't we say that this morning? If he dealt with us according to our sins, we'd be done. We'd be out. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be breathing. And he has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. It's a terrifying thought of the judgment to come that God will simply, perfectly give to sinful men and women what their deeds have warranted. But for those who trust in Jesus Christ, he has rewarded or given the justice for your deeds to Jesus. I should make a distinction here. I should have a while ago that David is speaking as a believer. And so if you are apart from Jesus Christ, you, you can't claim these things. He, he has been patient with you. He has been kind. He has been forbearing. But you're not yet in the place where you have received his son. And therefore, your sins are not pardoned. There is no forgiveness of sins apart from Jesus Christ. But for those who have trusted in Christ, he has pardoned our iniquities. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And then in verses 11 through 14, he's given four negative um, examples of what God is not do. He does not do. And then he gives four examples of what God does do. His loving kindness, this covenant love again, is great towards those who fear him. That's another term for faith. Those who reverence God, those who tremble in his presence, deal with and relate to God as he is. His loving kindness is great. It's not little. He doesn't let his loving kindness trickle out towards you. He lavishes it upon you in his Son, by his Spirit, through his word. He loves you, the Father. He removes our transgressions. Verse 12. What a thought. Our past, our guilt may haunt our thoughts. And I think that that is a reality until we are in the presence of the Lord. I mean, we should remember as believers, if we truly repented, if we have truly asked forgiveness, we are forgiven. We should live as forgiven people in the grace of Lord Jesus Christ. But it's just a reality that our sin and our sinfulness and our guilt is, is there. It it's haunts us. We can't always forget it. Sometimes we maybe shouldn't because it keeps us humble. But as for God, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. I mean, how far is that? That's as far as you can possibly get. And meaning he's removed our transgressions completely. This is before David knew of the cross of Christ. But yet he knew that God would somehow remove his sins completely. And again, think about it. You're talking about an adulterer and a murderer here. A very guilty man, a wicked man in his dealings at certain points in his life. And he says here that God, that we should, he should worship God because that same God has removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. And thirdly, in this little section here of 
positive reasons in God's dealings with his people. As a father has compassion, verse 13, upon his children, so Yahweh, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He's a compassionate father. I I presented a whole sermon on this verse a few years ago, I think for a Father's Day message. I think so many of us have harsh thoughts about God, the Father, that just are not there in Scripture, that Satan has been successful and somehow inserting in the minds of his people. God is holy. He's not a noodle in the sky. You go against him, it's not good. But he's inclined to be compassionate. He's tender towards sinners. He's not harsh. He understands. He's patient like a father is with a little child. Father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. Isn't that a thought, that when you go through all the various trials and sorrows that you do, that God is actually compassionate for you in that circumstance? That the Lord Jesus is compassionate towards you? And some, some of you are thinking maybe, um, well, but this, in this case, it was my fault. I'm the one that sinned. I mean, the troubles that I'm dealing with, it's because of what I did. Okay, well, have you confessed them as sin? Yes. Okay, good. And you're turning from that as you're able? Okay, good. But you still have the consequences of your sin? Nothing you can do about that. How do you think God is towards you in that? No, serves you well. See what you did, not following my word? That's what you get. No. He's compassionate towards you and me even as we face the consequences and live through the consequences of our own sin. What an amazing God. What a kind Father. Rebukes us when we're wrong, corrects us, but when he sees that we are truly stricken in the heart, when we truly confess, when we are truly sorrow, he doesn't get any pleasure in seeing us face the pain of the consequences of our sin. He's inclined to be merciful towards us. He feels, and I say that reverently, for us. And then fourthly, verse 14, in these positive lists of how he deals with his people, he knows our frame or our form. He remembers that we're dust. I love this about God. He knows who we are. He knows our frame. He doesn't demand anything more of us than he knows we are capable of. None of his commands are unreasonable. None of his expectations are unreasonable. I mean, that's cruelty. When you ask somebody to do something that they literally are not capable of doing, that's just plain mean. That's not God. He knows our frame. He gives us rest. He gives us food. He wants us to work out his commands and the life of pleasing him within the time and the days that he's given us. Some of us forget that we are mere dust and frame. That's our problem. But God knows our frame and he deals with us according to that. He knows our weakness. He doesn't expect us to be like him in terms of his attributes He knows exactly he made us, and he made us out of dust. And he deals with us accordingly in his kindness. 
Next, in verses 15 through 16, David reflects for a moment as to why men shouldn't be worshipped. Because, again, that's, that's our baseline uh, inclination in our sinfulness, is to be overly impressed with ourselves or with others. We have big thoughts about ourselves. Even sometimes we don't realize it. We think, oh, I, I, I'm not thinking I'm all that great. But, again, if we're living essentially without God, if we're essentially not calling upon God and going about our days, we're basically acting like we've got this. We've got our next breath. We've got our next job or our next meal. We've got our next healing or whatever the case may be. Somehow we've got this figured out. And when it comes to death, I don't know, but I'll handle it. Really? Wow. That's impressive. It's not true, of course. And David points that out. He says, as for man, his days are like grass. Oh, right now the grass out there is flourishing, especially if you put some fertilizer on. We've had the rain. And it's growing, and it looks so beautiful. Even if you have a, a lousy lawn, right now your lawn's looking pretty good. Might have a few yellow flowers, and some of you like the dandelions, some of you don't. But it, it's looking, I mean, it's just looking so full of life, and like it's going to thrive. But withhold the rain in July, second or third week. Don't give much rain, and we'll see how your lawn is doing in mid-August. And then... And they, oh, don't worry, it'll come back in September. We got the, remember the fall? Oh, beautiful. That grass again will look lush and it'll, it'll look like it's flourishing. And then let's go look at it in January. Let's see how beautiful that lawn is. And where is that grass that right now is so strong? Let's look at next January. It's, it's well, it might have been eaten by something. Might have been mowed by something. Or it might have just plain died and blown away. We're like that. Grass, flowers of the field. And when the wind is passed over it, it is no more. This is not demeaning humanity. The Bible recognizes that men and women are made by God in the image of God. Worthy of honor, worthy of respect. But David here is popping the bubble of his own inflated, his inclination to be inflated, have inflated thoughts of himself or of others. We should not be overly impressed with ourselves or with others. Rather, we should worship God. Worship God. Why? Verse 17, because loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting. Unlike mankind, men and women whose lives and their deeds come and go, come and go, come and go. God is eternal. His acts are eternal. His love is eternal. And he is faithful to his people. Verse 18, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. This is just, this is the description of a life of faith. A life of faith is someone who loves God's word and loves his ways and does them. And God is faithful to his people. You have never heard and you will never hear of God being unfaithful to a man or woman who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and is seeking to strive to live according to his ways. They may see sorrows, they may see difficulties, they may and they will come to their death and to before the Lord Jesus comes. But you will never, ever, ever see God fail in one of his promises to his people. Ever. 
which is why we worship him. Finally, in the psalm in verses 19 and following, David comes back to the theme of worship and recognizes the kingship of God. His kingdom rules over all. I'm mindful that, again, as I preach or teach, as men and women are exposed to the Bible and the truths about Jesus and the gospel and the need to repent of our unbelief and our sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the need to amend our ways, even if we're believers, and change and to be more like Christ, to submit to the word of God. I'm mindful that in our culture, increasingly, I think there's just this attitude because of all of our technological advances and consumer mindset that we have this mindset of, well, you know, that doesn't really work for me. It doesn't really, I'm not really ready for that. It doesn't, doesn't really fit with me. That is so dumb. So I, sorry, I don't have that in my notes. It just came out of my head. Um, but it, it is. I mean, if you're in Sudan this morning, You've heard about what's going on there, the conflict, and people by the thousands trying to get out. Not reckoning with who God is and who Jesus is and the kingdom of God and the rule of God because you're not ready for that or it doesn't really work with you or that's, you know, when God comes through his word and calls you or me to change something in our behavior, our attitude, acting like, well, that, that doesn't really work for me, you know, because of this, that, or the other thing. That's, that's like receiving a, a armed security a armed bus ride you know, the US nationals are being um, brought out through these uh, with armed armored personnel carriers and, and they're protected it would be like you not reckoning with the rule of God would be like standing there in Sudan with the war going on around you and saying well you know I really like a window seat so I'm not sure that this ride's going to work I think I'll wait maybe until next week and see what we got You just, you are out of touch with reality and not reckoning with the rule of God and the need for all of us to worship God if we don't reckon with that is to be out of touch with reality. It doesn't matter if that doesn't fit with you. You got to fit with with it. I mean, it's God and his kingdom is the reality that you are going to conform to either an eternity in his presence or an eternity in hell. That's how it works. You are going to conform to this reality. He is not going to bend in his kingdom to you or to me. His rule is, verse 19, over all. Bless him. So that's the reality of who he is. But praise God, he's not some tyrant. He's not, he's not evil. Praise God, he is holy and righteous. And all the things that we've meditated on this morning, therefore, in light of that in closing, David comes back and he calls not only his own soul to worship the Lord, but he calls his angels to worship him. And I remind you, brothers and sisters, when we worship God, when we gather together, We're told in the scriptures, and especially in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, that angels witness our worship. And we need to think about that. They worship God with all their strength, and we want to as well. Verses 20 and 21, the angels don't say, well, I don't really feel like it today. I'm feeling a little tired. 
You say, well, they're angels. Well, you're a man or woman made in the image of God. And in fact, you are through Christ and faith in him, though you were made a little lower than angels, God raises you up to reign with Christ. He's made you a new creation. And we will be the lead worshipers in heaven, not angels. Bless Yahweh, verse 22, all you works of his. And one day all of God's works will praise him in all places of his rule, which is everywhere. And then David comes back to bless Yahweh, bless the Lord, O my soul. Reasons to worship. Is this our default? Is this where we go back to? This basics of worshiping the Lord, of blessing him, whatever else is going on in life, business, job, health, family relations, nation, IRS, whatever the case may be, politics, church life sometimes, difficulties. Is this our, is this our default? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Whatever else is going on, okay. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons your iniquities, heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. And in closing, some of us are tempted to think, my youth is being renewed like an eagle? Doesn't feel like it. (laughs) Your body can age, and it will. But as we walk with Christ, God can renew our heart and our soul so that we increasingly become that childlike faith that God so loves. Increasingly trusting our Father who's compassionate towards us, trusting him with the future and trusting increasingly realizing that yes he's called me to do things in this life but really I just need to serve him and please him we may age outwardly but God can renew us inwardly and finally he's going to raise you from the dead and you'll have a body that will be suited to forever bless and praise the Lord, never to become weary, never to become tired. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. God, please help us to respond to David's call to worship, which is really the Spirit's call. And where we have been not worshiping you, we ask your forgiveness. Where we have been trying to offer up some lame, half-hearted worship. Forgive us. We thank you, O God, and praise you for all of your benefits towards us in Christ. Help us to respond with joy, remembering that you forgive us of all our sins, including our, our wrong worship, and that you redeem us and that you give us the opportunities to start fresh, to go back to the basics and bless you and worship you. May it be so this day, we ask in your name.
Amen.